Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Merry Christmas. And with me, Jay Harvey today. Jay, how are you? I'm wonderful. Merry Christmas. Good to be back. Oh, I mean, how could we go wrong in a week like Christmas? It's the best. It is the best. But then we do know that we do go wrong during the week of Christmas. <laughs> and sometimes Christmas can be a train wreck because our expectations are not met or, or somebody forgot or... Or we may not be feeling well, or we might have a health or an economic challenge, and this isn't the Christmas we'd hoped for. Because, Jay, you and I both know that this Christmas in 2020 wow. <laughs> has been stood on its head like everything in the year 2020. Yes. By the pandemic, by the economy, by all the tensions on the streets, by the racial and social justice and equity questions, transition in American government mm -hmm. after the presidential election. I mean, there's so many things that have kind of stirred the pot. Mm -hmm. But when it's all pushed to the side, there is a sweet comfort and anchoring knowing that Christmas has come again. Christmas uh, was born 20 centuries ago or so. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know that as a fact of history. Christmas is a celebration of that great event, which has changed the whole course of history. But it's accumulated a lot of traditions, yes. and a lot of a sparkle and 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 glam. Yeah, uh, there's some bling with Christmas. That's there's, right. <laughs> there's also some some like really serious art about Christmas. Think sure. about the great paintings and captures of people's imagination of what it was like to be in that nativity first set. There's also a famous story that mm -hmm. some people think has defined Christmas in the modern age. What's that story by Charles Dickens? A Christmas Carol. There it is, a Christmas Carol. The English word carol in the 19th century was the same as we might think of it today. It was a song. It was not the name of a woman, though mm -hmm. it can be. Right. It was not just some kind of poetry. Actually, it was the same as saying a Christmas hymn or a Christmas song. That's what Dickens wrote. And he wrote the story in five stanzas, or what he right. called staves. Mm -hmm. And he unpacks the fictional story grounded in some real truth mm -hmm. about the miserly old Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, you, <laughs> Jay Harvey and I, have That's been on right. stage. In fact, for many years, we were part of a live production in our town, right? That's right. It was um, something that was used uh, as entertainment and to raise money for worthy causes, but it it would also remind people uh, that this story was just, it's nearly perfect if you think about it. Uh, at Christmas time, unpacking all this the way that Dickens did, and, and uh, it just brings back great memories talking about it. You know, Jay, you were so awesome on the stage. <laughs> Truly were. I'm not just saying that because you're here. Okay. But okay. I mean, you were so awesome. I loved it. Because you played often the narrator who was right. Charles Dickens himself. So you would dress up in 19th century costume and yes. walk out on the stage and kind of bridge the different scenes and also do an introduction and a close. Right. You, you personified Dickens. Yeah. Tell me what you know about Dickens. What do you know? Well, a genius, uh, a writer, um, someone who had a heart for um, Christ, obviously, but also I think that God always puts people in place in every era to to hold the institutions accountable. So you can look out your window and see, you know, what's going on in the real world versus what perhaps um, the traditions of the church might be saying or doing. And Dickens was that person. He had such a unique way of describing life, of uh, using the imagination to, to bring real truths home. And so um, it just, just a genius of a writer. And he brought those truths home unforgettably, yes. as in A Christmas Carol.
Charles Dickens was a complicated man. Mm -hmm. He had a deep and profound interest in Scripture. He was a master of the Scripture, and you'll see Scripture kind of permeating most of his literature, if not a direct quote. It certainly has ideas, words, and phrases that refer back to this great revealed Word of God. He was a person who had a complicated history, though, with the institutional church of his time. He felt like it was a little bit out of step. Now, mm -hmm. he lived in the 19th century. He wrote A Christmas Carol in the year 1843. Victoria had shortly before become the queen. Uh, this was the dawn of the Victorian age. Uh, Britain, which was his home, was beginning to prosper, and its global empire was really being advanced. I mean, there were a lot of things going right in the world in which he lived from his point of view, from his country's point of view, not so much for the colonial right, <laughs> oppressed, right, right. but from where he sat, uh, someone could have argued, hey, this is, we're on the, the zenith of our country's future. But he saw the dark side or the underside of that. He saw the industrial um, upheavals uh, of his society. He saw how poverty was magnified as people moved to great cities and could not provide food for themselves in their local garden, and then were almost uh, indentured servants in the, in the mechanized age that was coming. I mean, mm. he saw the way in which the poor were oppressed and denied opportunity to advance. And it was born out of his own experience because as a child, that's what he lived. Nobody knew it when he became the world's most famous author and maybe the world's first right, celebrity. Right. It was only later that he disclosed that in his own upbringing, his father had been thrown into debtor prison, yeah. which was the custom of the time. He couldn't pay his debts. So I know here's a way to help you pay off your debts. We'll put you in jail so you can't earn any money. Yes, <laughs> but the right. theory was that your friends will give money to pay off the debt to get you out. But while Dickens' father was in jail for not being able to pay his debts, Dickens as a young boy was forced into labor, mm -hmm. working in a blacking factory with shoe polish. It was dreadful, it was dangerous, it was life-threatening, and it was child labor, which mm -hmm. today has been outlawed in the United Kingdom, as in many developed countries. But then Dickens lived at the raw edge of poverty. So when he found himself fame and fortune, he could not let the world forget what was going on mm -hmm. on the other side of the street. And he felt like the church was ignoring it. The church was preoccupied with its own existence and not preoccupied with the people that seemed to matter to Jesus most from his reading of the scripture. Which brings us to A Christmas Carol, which is the story of poverty and wealth, riches and joy, mm -hmm. happiness and despair, loneliness and camaraderie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it contrasts all these different dimensions of the human experience. And in the Christmas Carol, Jay, mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, on stage, you wrote the book. Yeah. There's Ebenezer Scrooge and there's Bob Cratchit. And Bob Cratchit has, right. has a little boy who becomes an emblem, really, in all of English literature and conversation since Dickens published this story first. Right. What's the kid's name? Oh, it's Tiny Tim. <laughs> Tiny Tim. Yes. And, how can and you forget Tiny tell me, Tim? Tell me about Tiny Tim. What Tiny did Tim is is is, some, is is handicapped, as as we would say, and uh, I forget how it's referred to in the story, but basically uh, lame. Uh, had had a hard time walking, and He's so somehow physically disabled. somehow physically disabled, and the family was you know always trying to eke out a living, and but they always had um, a, a joyous spirit about them, and always looking at the bright side, and. And but right there in front of you, what Dickens does is he puts Tiny Tim uh, almost in your face to say, "What are we going to do about this? What does this mean? What what is it that um, we do with Tiny Tim? Uh, 
in this entire story of rich and poor and regret and loneliness and happiness and wealth and poverty, all these things. Tiny Tim is this thread throughout uh, that we see appear over and over again. What do we do about Tiny Tim? And the premise seems to be, if we're going to celebrate Christmas at all, how do you celebrate Christmas and ignore Tiny Tim? Right. How, how can you have all the opulent celebration of Christmas and at the same time not pay attention to the people that the Christ child who came into this world seemed to be focused on? That was Dickens' crucible mm. challenge yes. for the audience, and it has been challenging us from the day the story was published and became a sensation till right now, the subject of film and books and adaptations from the Muppets right. to serious drama. <laughs> I mean, it's still posing the same question. That's right. How do we celebrate Christmas? Mm -hmm. What's that about? Jay, there's a scene in The Christmas Carol uh, mm -hmm. where Ebenezer Scrooge is brought supernaturally in a dream to watch the Cratchits on Christmas Day. He, right. He's taken to their modest little house. They're living, you know, in the project, so to speak. They're, they're right. in a difficult scenario. They have very little material things to celebrate, but they're celebrating Christmas just the same. Right. And Bob Cratchit has taken his young son, Tiny Tim, mm -hmm. disabled physically. He's taken him to church. Most people today don't often think about going to church on Christmas Day. Right. We think of Christmas Sunday. If you're a church-going folk, you may go on the Sunday before Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve. But Christmas Day church services are a bit of an anachronism in many parts mm -hmm. of the developed world, even though they're still offered in many places. Last Sunday, I was in a Christmas Day service at mm -hmm. St. Paul's in London. Wow. And it was so amazing. But back to the Christmas carol... It was the custom in the 19th century to go to church on Christmas Day. So Bob Cratchit takes his little boy to church, and then they right. come home. Mrs. Cratchit is, is busy getting things together, right. uh, the potatoes, right. so to speak, and the, the tiny little piece of meat they're going to share as a family. Mm -hmm. But Tiny Tim comes back, and she, Mom Cratchit, engages her son about his experience. What what happens in that scene? What does Tiny Tim say about church? Yeah, after, you know, she... It's always the line that, that just kind of gets people. And she says, how was church today or whatever the line is. But the response Tiny Tim gives is, I thought it would be pleasant for those in the church to see me and think of him who made the lame to walk. Wow. wow. So Tiny Tim is saying, on this Christmas day, as I went to church, I thought it would be pleasant for people mm. to see me disabled and remember Jesus, who made the lame to walk. Well, where does that come from? Mm. There are many stories in the New Testament talking about Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, and how he was devoted to helping those in the most desperate need and place. John chapter 5 has one of those stories. It's a famous passage. Yes. It talks about a pool, a, a place of water gathering in the ancient city of Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it say, Jay? How's it start? It starts off this way, Jim. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. 
But Jesus told him in verse 8 of John chapter 5, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you cannot work on the Sabbath. The law does not allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But the man who had been healed replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Mm. What a story. It is. There's so many threads in this story, but what's clear is Jesus is in a space, a public square, where the public has gathered by a water pool. And in the ancient Near East especially, where water was is where people gathered. Mm -hmm. And this pool uh, in the city of Jerusalem was populated with all kinds of people, and especially, it seems, people who were physically challenged, and they gathered in the porches, probably because there was some shade, it was cooler where there was water on those hot days uh, in ancient Jerusalem with all that stone radiating heat. Uh, Some translations have a suggestion that the water was stirred from Mm -hmm. time to time. People believed that that was an angel touching the water, and if you could get in the water first, you'd uh, be healed. Uh, This guy... Uh, is there 38 years, he's been paralyzed, and Jesus finds him. You know, you, Jay, Mm -hmm. work with a guy who is my friend, but you work closely with him, named Nick Wojcik. Nick is uh, one of the most phenomenal um, communicators I know. I mean, he's smart, Mm -hmm. he's fun, he he jokes and makes you laugh. You can't be in a room with Nick Wojcik and not smile. He's just going to make it happen. That's very true. Uh, He's a man of deep faith, Mm -hmm. and uh, part of his magic, maybe that's not the word, but his anointing, his his charisma, is the way in which he not only thinks, but how he appears. Because when you see Nick Wojcik for the first time, Jay, what's your first impression? (laughs) You realize he has no arms or legs. I mean, that's it. That's it. He has no limbs. This is a, a defect of mm-hmm. his formation in the womb. And he mm-hmm. was born in this condition without any arms or legs. Just think about that. He has a torso and a head. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, his smile and his eyes can dance and make you glad you're alive. That's right. But when you, when you walk alongside him and you're going even tomorrow to work with him at an event, yes. just tell me about how does his physical challenge mm-hmm. translate for an audience? What do they think about? When, you, when you're in that room with Nick and then people walk away, what are they walking away with? Well, it, it's, it's, it's so hard to, to see him and, and initially not just be in awe, but then what happens is your mind immediately goes to the hope that he has in Christ that then in return you're thinking, what, what am I doing? Here is a man with no arms and no legs, which at, at the beginning of, the, of uh, your encounter with him, you notice, but then all of a sudden, that kind of disappears. You just see somebody that is pointing to Christ and understands that he is the only hope, which then brings you into it. So you walk away, yes, understanding in your head that he has no arms and legs and what a uh, what an overcomer he is and what an inspiration he is. And as you said, smart and anointed and uh, a great evangelist. But in the moment, it is not his handicap that keeps you attracted to him. It is his love and his heart for Christ. So everything else just kind of dissipates. That That is something that 
uh, I'm sorry, Jim, but you and I just can't do because we have arms and legs. We look normal uh, and we love Jesus just the same. But that is this effect that Nick has on people. Uh, it, it just is, is an amazing thing. Um, and as he always says, he, he asked God for arms and legs, but he knows the reason that um, God is using him as this vessel is to bring people to an understanding of who Christ is in all of his, uh, um, his brokenness. Without arms and legs, people can actually see Jesus more through him than maybe somebody like me. But he'll also be quick to tell you, he's still praying for arms and legs, and he keeps a pair of shoes in his closet just in case. I mean, that's fair, and that's right. serious. I mean, it, it makes us laugh, but it's also serious. Right. We right. have no idea what God might do next. Exactly. But what is clear is that Nick understands that he has a chance to help people think about Jesus. Exactly. Uniquely so, and Tiny Tim, a fictional character, but still the embodiment of this idea, who appears in the Christmas Carol, understands that on Christmas Day... Because I am here, people can think about Jesus. Wow. And when you think about Jesus and when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we have to celebrate who Jesus actually is, not our Christmas card photo of what we want it to look like, not the stylized view of the peaceful manger scene. (laughs) He was was born in a barn Mm -hmm. with livestock Mm -hmm. because there was no hotel, there was no inn, there was no house that could take his mother and Joseph in. And he entered this world in the most desperate of circumstances. Mm. And he devoted his life to helping those who are in the most desperate of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And while he welcomed everyone, you could be Zacchaeus in a tree with more wealth than the rest of Jericho combined. Mm -hmm. You could be at Simon the Pharisee's house and live in a home of status and luxury. In the end, Jesus said, I came to heal those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. I've come to set the prisoners free. I have come to help the blind receive their sight. He does make the lame to walk. He restores hearing to those who are deaf. He physically intervenes in life, and his heart is intervening for all of us. Mm. The more desperate you are the closer you'll find Jesus. That's right. So this Christmas, I guess the question is, prompted maybe by Charles Dickens, but fundamentally prompted by the scripture itself that tells us the Christmas story in its origin. This Christmas to celebrate, how could we actually please Jesus on the day we've chosen to celebrate his birth? This is the Christmas week. Christmas is not just a day, it is a way of life. And this week, even though the Christmas day may not be the moment you're hearing this conversation, this week you can celebrate Christmas. How can you do it? Maybe there's someone who's vulnerable in your world that you can reach out and help. And when you help them, you can remember that Jesus said, when you help the least of these, you help me. Jay, I'm so excited. I, I don't mean to make this a, a pretentious moment, but in our local church, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a real passion for kids in foster care. Yes. And so this Christmas, uh, the church folk were encouraged to come alongside foster families, mm-hmm. uh, good people who take in children into their own homes who may not be able to uh, have good care otherwise. And anyway, we we 
were given a four-year-old boy mm. to come alongside, and my wife and I had the grandest time <laughs> finding things and gifts. Wow. He had a little list, things that could bless him and the family that cares for him. Yes. And you know, I've got grandchildren that I'm so excited to buy for, and mm -hmm. I love them, and they need something from Grandma and Grandpa too, and so I'm all for that. But I'll tell you what, my memory of this Christmas week is about the child that we cannot see, That's right. but that we had in our mind's eye that we spent hours looking for just right for him. It's a small thing. Mm. It's a tiny thing, but man, that came closer to celebrating Christmas than a hundred candles I might have lit or songs I might have sung. Jim, I got to tell you, the one thing that I've learned over the years is these small gestures. God uses and might be the only time that a child like that gets a glimpse of heaven or Christ. And uh, when we're obedient to that, I tell you, great things happen. And, and we're blessed too, just like you said. That's wonderful. Well, I'm just suggesting that yes. there are so many opportunities to celebrate Christmas right. outside of what we think is the way to celebrate Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I've got some Christmas trees. I've got some presents wrapped under the tree. I've got lights on my house. I, <laughs> I'm all in for it. And I love Christmas music. But this Christmas, folks, let's actually celebrate Jesus like Tiny Tim modeled for us. No, as Charles Dickens introduced to us. No, as the scripture makes plain to us mm. by helping those that Jesus came to save. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be physically disabled. You don't have to be destitute or in somehow stretched to find Jesus. He loves all of us. But unless our hearts feel desperate with a hunger and thirst for something that we cannot meet ourselves, it's hard to find Jesus this Christmas. Be that one who finds Jesus because you're desperate for his presence and you can find that most easily when you're helping someone else mm. who also needs that helping hand. How to start? pray with us. How do you pray? Praying is just talking to God. It's listening for God's voice too. But it usually starts when we ourselves speak to God. You can speak out loud or you can speak quietly in your heart, but you know you're forming thoughts and words and you are sending them to God. He is listening, I promise. Join us in this prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the Christmas time. We're thankful that Jesus came into this world and that when we see Jesus, we see you. That Jesus is the exact representation of you, our Father in heaven. And when we understand his heart and his touch and his voice, his calling, well, then we understand you. And we're so thankful that Jesus came to this world and he struggled through it just like we do. He, he saw all the broken places. He understood the pain and the loss, the loneliness, he knew how to laugh and he knew how to weep. And we're so thankful that this Jesus is he who we celebrate at Christmas. And as we celebrate this Christmas, help us to see those that he saw first. Like the man by the pool of Bethesda when there were so many others there. He saw that one who for 38 years had been desperate and alone. And how he spoke into that man's life and made him whole. Lord, help us to be the instrument of Jesus in helping to bring just a touch of wholeness to someone along the way. Maybe there's someone who is physically challenged that we can help. Maybe there's someone who's 
economically challenged that we can help, or who's struggling with some kind of relational breakdown that we can help. Maybe there's someone who's desperate in another way that we can help, but help us to help others as a way of celebrating Christmas. And may we all understand our own desperate need to be made whole by this Jesus born in Bethlehem. We, Lord, now admit that we need Jesus, mm. and we ask him to fill us and to animate us, to own us, and to use us for his purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name for this Christmas and always. Amen. Today, we want to invite you to reach out and talk to us. Maybe you've got some questions about what you heard today, or maybe you just want to share some good news, or maybe you have a prayer request. Whatever's on your heart, we want you to know. We want to hear from you. We have a 24-hour toll-free line that you can dial right now and hear the real voice of a member of our CBH Viewpoint team. Here's the number. Just dial this, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not a recording. We'll be there. But Jay, I know some people won't call, mm -hmm. but they might check us out online. Where can they go? Uh, Jim, they can find us at cbhviewpoint.org. That's it. CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email. We will reply. Perhaps you're actually accessing CBH Viewpoint today online already. We want you to know that if you are, you can put a note, a message in the social media feed that accompanies uh, this broadcast on your screen, and we will track that and get right back to you. Or at the last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us by the phone, check us out online, use social media, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. So good to see you always. I miss those days on the stage. Oh, my goodness. But still glad to be on this stage with you. It was good to reminisce. And yes, I am so in the Christmas spirit. Merry Christmas to you and your house. Merry Christmas to you. And a Merry Christmas to all who are listening to us today. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to unpack just one more installment in this series drawn from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and This Christmas Time. But until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministries team, this is Jim Lyon. Merry Christmas. Stay tuned.